Praise the Lord. So, as I was saying, I, I was very, very impressed in my heart to talk about, um, about the church. I've been thinking about the church, not necessarily the Elgin Community Church, but the Church of the Lord, the church in capital letters, the invisible church, like St. Augustine will say. And um, I've been bringing a series of messages. Uh, two weeks ago, I shared a message which, with you called Abide in Christ. And we talk about especially the characteristics of what does it mean to abide in Christ, to be in the Lord, um, to be a disciple in a way. Um, last week, I talked to you in Nehemiah chapter 13 and the conflict that Nehemiah had with Eliashib, the priest, and Tobiah, the Ammonite, and how Nehemiah had to come and make this um, restoration and, and clean the house of the Lord. Um, so it was a, a representation of holiness. But um, this week, for some reason, the Lord has been speaking to me about the importance of honoring one another and the importance of honoring those that have um, led us to where we are, um, maybe those that are not with us anymore. Um, so I have been thinking about all my, all my heroes of, of the faith, you know, some of them are uh, well-known people that are, you know, far away, but uh, many of them are really, you know, down-to-earth, everyday people that have really encouraged me. So I was thinking, of course, about my dad. As you know, he passed away a few years ago, and, and he was um, an amazing um, teacher and uh, uh, a big deal of, of who I am and, and, and what I do today. Um, I owe him for, for that and, uh, and my mom. And uh, I was thinking about different people in my life. I was thinking about, um, you know, we don't have Carl and Jackie here today, my, my father-in-law. Um, they are uh, obviously in, in, their, in their service in, in Germany at the moment. And... Um, and Carl and Jackie had been a, an extreme, an extreme, an extreme blessing to me. Um, I was thinking about people like um, Benson and Kathy Vaughn, uh, my music teachers. I was thinking about Paul Schmigel and Gabby, um, teachers of mine in Bible school. Um, I was thinking about um, the, the, the person who was the president in, in my time in Bible school, Dr. John Sims and Pat Sims. And uh, John is someone that I really look up to, you know, a wonderful um, a wonderful um, man of God. And uh, I was thinking about my time when I did my master's, and I was thinking about David Petz from, from the UK, um, Assemblies of God, the UK, and, and the impact that he has in my life. And many of you um, have gone through the discipleship course with his books, David Petz books, uh, How to Live for Jesus. I was thinking about Professor Terry Cross from Lee University. You know, and I was just taking the time just to mention their names and to thinking, think about them. You know, most of them are, are with us. And, uh, of course, but uh, many of them are retiring or retire now. And, uh, and I was just, just thankful to say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for these people that, um, that, you put, um, that you put them on my way. And one of those people that I mentioned was Dr. John Sims, the former president of ETS, the European Theological Seminary in Germany, where I studied. And he, he's in his late 70s, early 80s, I believe. Uh, I think he's turning 80 this year, if I'm not wrong. And, uh, and John and Pat have been fantastic um, friends of ours uh, and our families. And John, in his late 70s, early 80s, um, he is just writing books. Uh, he, he wrote about 12 books. Um, in his ministry, uh, but he wrote, I don't know, about six in the last few years, and uh, I have been very privileged to um, keep a, a close eye um, on what he was writing, and I believe, I believe, uh, you know, John is someone that is very, uh, John and I share a, a, a common hobby, if you like, we, we both love C.S. Lewis, and um, and he wrote a book on C.S. Lewis uh, not long ago. And uh, something about C.S. Lewis that really impressed me is that he was someone who, especially his writings of the 40s and 50s, have been considered prophetic in our own time. So a lot of people are looking to what C.S. Lewis has said because everything that he affirmed is happening right now. And people saw that like fantasy, that he was just writing fantasy, but many people are realizing that we had um, a prophet among us, and, and we didn't realize until he, he was long ago. Um, 
Well, John, um, have, as I said, has written a few books, and um, I realized that a few weeks ago, a few days ago, actually, um, Pat, his wife, uh, posted, um, um, you know, an article with his new book, the release of his new book, and his new book is called Faith, Hope, and Love, The Ground and Pillars of the Christian Religion. Uh, I immediately went to Amazon, Amazon UK, and they had it there in Kindle, and as you know, I like paper, uh, and, uh, and uh, I was just looking for it, and it takes normally a week or two until Amazon finally prints it out, and as soon as it was printed, I, I bought it, and, uh, and I have been doing this for the last four books that John wrote. Um, I, I read at least six of his books, and um, I mean, how many of you remember How to Live for Jesus, the book that we all, all you know, many of us read together, um, um, the series of David Petz? Um, I love it so much that that's the book that I use for discipleship, when someone gets saved and before they come to be baptized, um, that's the discipleship course that we go through. But I was so impacted with that that I ended up making a series of preachings. So the 10 chapters became 10 sermons. And um, originally he was 19 when he wrote that, and there were actually articles in the newspaper. Every Sunday it would be one of the chapters in the newspaper. And then he ended up years later making this book, very similar to C.S. Lewis when he wrote Mere Christianity, and it was just basically... Um, radio interviews in the Second World War, and the, bi the, the people say in this country that C.S. Lewis' voice was the second most recognizable voice in the UK after Churchill. So, um, and then years later, he put all these notes together, and it became three separate books, um, and then it became what we can read today as mere Christianity. I, I really... I'm really impacted about that because sometimes things that the Lord has given us that we don't really think much about it, we just share it. Then the Lord takes it and, and he makes, you know, a great work of art or a classic out of it. Anyway, enough literature. But um, when, when I, I got this book from John um, and I read it, I got that sense, the same sense reading his book like I had when I read C.S. Lewis, for example. That he's saying, see, he's saying something way more important than just an opinion or a philosophy. He's actually being prophetic. And I do believe that the reason why the Holy Spirit has touched John to write all these books uh, in his later days is because he's leaving a legacy and he is leaving a prophetic word um, for, for us, the, the generations behind. So I often do this, you know, especially with my students in, in our Bible studies. Uh, I don't maybe do this as often as uh, as my teachings when I'm preaching, but I really encourage you to to go to Amazon and, and have a look at this, because if you were blessed by um, David Pett's "How to Live for Jesus," this is this is another notch. This is this is discipleship, but it's in a in a very um, in an upper level, if you like. And the reason why I'm talking about this is obviously to present this resource. I mean. I'm not getting paid for this, by the way. Um, I, I have been just blessed, and I just want to pass it on as a testimony. Um, uh, but um, the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm sharing about this book is because the message today um, has been like an answer. Um, I've been searching. I have been um, have this weight in my heart about the church, the church of the Lord, the importance of the church. And when I read a particular chapter in John's book, it was like the Lord speaking to me and, and leading me. And of course, you know, then bringing the word of God and, 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 uh, and, 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 and supporting the, uh, the five characteristics. When we think about the church, we all have a different um, picture in our heads, you know, and that's how we operate. The mind of God is simple. The mind of man is complicated. You may say, well, that should be the opposite, isn't it? No, it's not. Because God, from the beginning, you know, that's for us to understand God. God didn't have a beginning. God is eternal. He didn't have a beginning or end, which is crazy for us because we have been cut and shaped according to time. It's impossible for us to fully comprehend eternity. 
I remember when I was a kid and, and I would ask my dad questions about the Lord. And I would say, you know, and, and my dad says, and one day we will be in heaven forever. I try to think that forever word, like forever, forever. I mean, there's tomorrow and another tomorrow, another tomorrow, forever and ever. And, and then my, my little brain was like, it collapsed, and it was just like a white picture. I just couldn't go farther. I just reached the, the border of my brain, if you like, and I just couldn't think bigger than that. I just couldn't, and I realized, you know, definitely God is big because the things that he has planned, you know, his ideas, and they're way bigger than our thoughts and ideas, right? So I was thinking about, oh, he's looking at me. Look at that. He's going to be a preacher. I got the baby just looking at me like this. Bless you. Um, it's, it's incredible to, to see that the Bible says that God's plans and thoughts are way higher than our thoughts and our plans, right? Now, God, from the beginning, thought, right? And his thought, in God's thought, was everything. God doesn't learn things. He knows it all already. Again, my brain goes blank. There is nothing that we can do or say. There is no development in, 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 in the universe or in human history that takes God by surprise. He knows it all, all of it, all the details from the beginning. And that's why I say that God thinks that God's mind is simple. It's like all in ones. You know, our mind, we, we are more complex. You know, I tell you, for example, the word um, boat. And then you may picture in your head what a boat, you know, you may think about a sailing boat or you think about the beach. You think about maybe the boats here in Lossiemouth where you grow up. You may think about, you know, how sick you got the first time you went into one of them. Or that lovely vacation where you were, you know, sailing. Oh, oh. You know, we have pictures, we have ideas, we have experiences. And then we develop that. We connect all that to the idea of boat. Okay, I know what you're talking, Pastor. Right? But the thing is, it takes us milliseconds to, to get to that point. It's not like that with God. God knows everything. Everything is in front of him from the beginning to the end. He is the creator of time and a matter. So the things that we depend on is something that it was just, amen. He says, amen. Hallelujah. Um, the, the things that we depend on are the things that God just, at some point in eternity, he created. Right? But the thing that God has dreamed in his heart is being the church, the bride of Christ. It's been in his heart from the beginning. Even, even when Adam and Eve committed sin, uh, you see that there was already a plan. In, in Genesis 3.15, we have what we call the Proto-Evangelium, the pre-gospel, where he tells the story that one day the seed of the woman will step on the head of the serpent. A man will come and put an end to that new sinful stage in which human, humanity was stepping in. And we are still in. Right? But then that man became... Flesh and dwell among us. God came flesh. Jesus, right? And he had a holy life and he died on the cross, but death could not hold him because he was sinless. Death could not hold him. Death has no grip on him. And he rose at the third day. Hallelujah. But the thing is, Jesus said to the disciples, it's important for me that I die. It's important for me that I die so you can continue the work. You can do more things after me. And not only that, he said, I will not leave you alone. Just wait, wait for the promise of my Father, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. And the Hebrew name for Jesus is Immanuel, Emmanuel, which means with us God, God with us. But the Hebrew name for the Holy Spirit is Ba-Nuel. It's not uh, with us God, it's in us God. Ba-Nuel. In us, God. God in us. And he says, I will send the Holy Spirit, 
And he says in a particular verse, he says, you will have no needs of teachers. What does it mean? You know, that, that our primarily source, it will not be a rabbi like Jesus was, or how Jesus um, uh, was known. People will call him rabbi, a, a Jewish teacher. He says, you will not need me. The Holy Spirit will guide you to all truth. And Jesus said previously, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You see, truth is not a philosophy. Truth is a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. And he says, the Holy Spirit will lead you to myself. The Holy Spirit will be there encouraging you and teaching you to remember everything I have said and for you to keep it and, and to continue. Now, the, the, the important thing was, Jesus says, go and wait for the promise. So they went, they waited for the promise. For 10 days, they were in that upper room after his ascension. And then the Holy Spirit came. The Holy Spirit, is a, it comes when you're obedient. Hallelujah. When, you, when we fulfill the promises of the Lord, um, you know, uh, we embrace the Holy Spirit because the things that he has done. Now, when Jesus left this earth, Jesus' followers were all that he left behind when he ascended to heaven. They were the foundation of his church and the continuation of his life and work on this earth. What God had begun through Jesus of Nazareth would continue through Jesus' disciples whom he had chosen. Throughout history, God has been calling and connecting disciples of Jesus to his story. What he wills is that we follow Jesus in a manner that is faithful to the narrative of Scripture. A true disciple is one who is fully his, one who makes Christ's life their own. Hallelujah, I love that. I don't have to imitate Christ, although the Apostle Paul encourages us to be imitators of Christ, but it's not just imitating Christ. We have to make Christ's, Christ's life our own life. That's why you get the two kinds of Christians sometimes, Christians that are complaining all the time about how difficult it is to be a Christian. <laughs> you see, they're, they're missing one step. Oh, this Christian thing is so difficult. God, you're killing me. You're breaking me. You, what, what are you doing with my life, God? That's precisely the point. Because the Christian life is about surrendering. So when we try to mimic Christ's life, we are in a constant tension. You see? And what we really need is to surrender. That's when the Bible says, carry your own cross and follow me. Right? So I think it's important for us as believers, as we are growing and developing and maturing, to realize that being a disciple of Jesus Christ is not to do what Jesus did, because we're going to be in that constant tension, but it's also to embrace the life of Christ as our own. Hallelujah. Now, the gateway to discipleship is conversion. Every path has a beginning, and the path to discipleship begins with the new birth. Conversion from the old life to the new life in Christ is the door to discipleship. What begins through, what begins through faith and trust in Christ as Savior continues in faithfulness to Christ as Lord. You know, that's why we call Jesus our Lord and Savior. When you, when you receive Christ, you, you put your trust and your faith in him for the, things that, for the things that he has done at the cross, especially for the things that he has done for you. But then when you embrace the salvation and you step into the new life, now we realize that he is Lord. So he's not there just to facilitate something for me, for my rescue. It's like you are hanging from a well, and then you're asking someone to come and help you. And then that person helps you. You know, that's something for you. That's what Jesus Christ came. He came to take us out of this hole of sin that we were in. But now he demands in his love and in your freedom to receive him as Lord. So he can lead you through this life, not only in the beginning, not only in the gateway, not only in the entrance, but through all your life. Hallelujah. So I want to talk to you. Again, this sermon will, may sound similar to some of the points that I have shared before a couple of weeks ago, probably about uh, the message called Abide in Christ. But I want to talk to you about 
not only what it means to abide in Christ, but what it is specifically to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And as I said before, a lot of the notes that I'm, I'm sharing with you are just uh, paraphrases from, from, from uh, the book from, from John. But of course, I'm not preaching you out of any book. I'm preaching you from the book, okay? So we will see everything I'm going to be sharing with you. I will, I will bring um, biblical references. So thank you, Chema, for all your hard work there. He's, he will help us with, with the PowerPoint and the Bible. So before we jump into that, do you have your Bible with you? Can you please open your Bibles in Acts chapter 29? I will wait, don't worry, until you find it. Acts 29. You got it? Acts 29, you got it? No? What's the problem? It has only 28 chapters. Because chapter 29 is being written right now. The Acts of the Apostles didn't stop in chapter 28. It continues in chapter 29 with the church. So, <laughs> the Word of God is, is alive. It's alive. So that means that what the Apostles did, it didn't stop there like some people say. What the Apostles did is being the, the work of, the, of, of, of Jesus and the, and the disciples are continuing right now. So you are, actually, the Acts 29 that you cannot find in your Bible. The first thing I would like to share with you is, the first, first characteristic of a disciple is a supreme love for Jesus, including family, friends, and personal desires. Luke Chapter 14, verse 26, I'm going to read reading from the New Living Translation, says, If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Wow. Jesus? Isn't he the peacemaker hero? Is he encouraging me to hate everyone? The Bible says so. What is the Bible really saying? Because we can take one passage of the Bible and make whatever we want to make out of it. The Bible has to be seen in, in the complex, in the context of it. And basically what Jesus is saying here, especially that word hate, is using a bit of uh, Jewish uh, uh, contrast. And basically what he's saying is, you know, like when he talks to the, to, to, to the disciple and said, if you have your two masters, you will be, you know, you, you will be trying to serve both of them. You have to love one master and serve that one master. You cannot be between two masters because they will conflict sometimes. And that's unfortunately what many Christians in the 21st century in the Western world that's actually what we are dealing with. We have Jesus as the first in our lives. But the problem is, if we have Jesus as, as the first, there is also a second, and a third, and a fourth. And this is a problem, because the Lord doesn't share His glory with any other idol. God wants to be the only one, not the first, the only one. He wants to be seated at the throne of our hearts. He's a zealous God. Hallelujah. Because he loves us, because he knows, he understands that we are absolutely everything, everything that we need. Yes, I know that we don't have an earthly example because we've got a lot of leaders in the world today proclaiming the same thing. Dictators, you know, who are constantly saying, you know, I'm the source of everything you need. Look at North Korea, for example. You see? The Bible talks about many, many people will come and declare themselves messiahs and saviors of their nations. But what Jesus is saying in this particular verse, can we have it again? Chema, there, please. He's basically saying, if you don't put Jesus Christ 
above everything else, the rest will crumble. So even if you will have to be at the point of rejecting everything else, but Jesus, that's actually what that verse is actually meaning in the original language. If you don't, are not even willing to put aside, to reject, to hate, even using that extreme word, that's, that's, that's intentional, that's the Jewish way to wake up someone, saying, if you are not willing to put Jesus Christ above every single thing, everything that you love, including your own life, you cannot be my disciple. So basically, Jesus is, is, is very clear about this. Now, we can, of course, see in other contexts in the, in, in the Word of God how the Lord is saying, bless those who hate you. Honor your father and your mother so your days will be long on earth. Don't, uh, don't uh, lead your children into anger. Uh, the Bible is clear that, um, um, you know, we should honor and love our spouses like Jesus loves the church. We see that over and over and over again. It's a very clear message. So it's important for us to realize that the Lord Jesus Christ is making clear that he is above absolutely everything else. Now, let me, let me go to the second point, which is basically the last part of this verse. A disciple of Jesus Christ must deny himself. A denial of self, that's part of of who we are as disciples of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said to, the, to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. Again, a very clear picture. If you want to experience everything that Jesus Christ has for you, you need to realize that Jesus is not another compliment. It's not another accessory in your wardrobe. Jesus Christ is an absolute. He is the source of everything. Are you guys with me? Yeah? Very important. We have to deny ourselves. In other words, we put everything that we are. We sacrifice everything we are. We just lay down to Jesus Christ and say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus Christ was our example. When he's at Gethsemane, hours before he was uh, crucified, he said to the Father, he's bleeding blood, and he's in agony, and his disciples are sleeping. He's by himself, he's alone, and he's praying and saying, Lord, if it's your will, please, I don't want to drink from this cup, but not my will, but yours be done. Hallelujah. There's nothing wrong with being sincere with God. Have you been... Have you been ever sincere with God? Have, have you had one of those conversations with, when things get a bit... And, and you shout and you wonder why and you ask God things? I've been there a few times. It's the most silly thing in the world because he always wins. But we, Lord, why is this happening to me? Right? Why, Lord? That's also an indication that we are not really dead to ourselves, isn't it? That we try to adapt Jesus Christ into our lives instead of us die to live his life. You know, he died so we can live. So that's a struggle. That's a struggle, isn't it? And, uh, and this is what Jesus said to his father. Father, it, it's, it's not what I want. It's, about, it's what you want. Now, I'm not very happy about this. <laughs> I'm not looking forward to what is going to happen to me in the next few hours. I'm not looking forward to being mocked and, you know, people will spit on me and, and it's going to hurt. These Roman soldiers are savages. They're, they're going to make me bleed big time. Some scientists believe that Jesus' head and face was probably two to three times the size of a normal person after all that beating. A crown of thorns. I don't think he was looking forward to that. But above everything, I don't think he was looking. He was looking, I don't think he was looking forward to be on that cross and feel completely alone. For the first time in eternity, 
he, his father had to turn his face because he became sin for us. Your sins and my sins, he bore on himself on the cross. At the point that he felt not only extremely in pain and agony, but he being innocent. But he shouted, Lord, Lord, why have you forsaken me? Even Jesus Christ felt forsaken. When you feel that everyone has forsaken you, even God, well, Jesus felt the same. And he had to feel that. And he has to go through every temptation on the book. So you understand that he understands you. That's the amazing thing about the Lord Jesus Christ. Karl Barth, a great theologian of the 20th century, he says, he got this, this thing that says, God chose to suffer. It's a beautiful, beautiful chapter there. God chose to suffer. He didn't have to suffer. Why do we suffer? We suffer because of sin. But although he committed no sin, he chose to suffer the consequences of sin, although he had no sin, out of love, because he loves you and me. Hallelujah. So he's saying, guys, <laughs> I put my, I, I gave my life, I gave my life in obedience to the Father for your sake. And Jesus Christ is saying, you must do the same thing. Hallelujah. Church is not something, you know, a great show, a happy, clappy environment that we enjoy. I mean, it's nothing wrong with enjoying it. But what I'm trying to say, the church of the living God is way more than just that. The church of the living God is, is a group of people, sinners, washed by the blood of the Lamb, by grace, who have put their faith and trust in the love of Jesus Christ. We are not more special than anyone else. That's the mistake that the Israelites did. And that's the mistake that many Christians are doing. No, we are, we are top-notch. We are safe by grace and this religious pride. Oh, the Father cannot stand that. He says, I, I cannot stand your holy assemblies and your worship and all your, your fat cows and all these sacrifices. I cannot stand it. Because the heart wasn't in the right place. But he loves the humble and the broken. When we are repented and sincere, he loves that. Hallelujah. That's part, that's part of, of our discipleship process. Hallelujah. Let's continue. Number three, Chema. A disciple is a life that bears spiritual fruit. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, and I will choose another verse from the same chapter, John 15, chapter 8. says, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. That's the New Living Translation. Hallelujah. When you produce much fruit, you are, true, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. You see? The Christian life is not just for us to sit down and to get fat <laughs> with wonderful worship and wonderful messages and sermons and teachings. And there's so many resources nowadays thanks to technology and, and the social media and etc., etc. But the Christian life is about producing. Now let me, let me please allow me to be bold this morning and ask you, where are your fruits? Where are my fruits? What am I producing for, for God? I'm just trying to be the good Christian and show up in church on Sunday and from time to time pay my tithes and offerings and maybe do some charitable things. You see, that, that's not the point. That's, a, that's great. The Pharisees asked Jesus, Oh, Lord, we, you know, we, we tithe this and we do this and we do that. And the Lord says, That's great. But you should also do this without stop doing the other. You should love. You should love. You shouldn't do that out of religion or out of uh, discipline or out of, of um, uh, it's part of the agenda. You should be doing that out of love. Hallelujah. Because everything that I do is out of love. 
That was what Jesus may say, because I love, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. So whoever believes in him shall not perish, but receive everlasting life. So a life that bears spiritual fruits. What are my spiritual fruits? Am I producing spiritual fruits? Lord, I want to produce spiritual fruits. Hallelujah. 30, 60, and 100 percent. It's a, it's a process, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's, it's a process that, you, you know, you develop, you grow into it. Praise the Lord. Number four, we're getting there. A disciple is someone that has a fervent love for fellow believers. John chapter 13, verse 35 says, Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Hallelujah. It is love that will show the world that we are truly God's. Not our great buildings and work of art, our icons and our traditions. You're missing the, we're missing the point. Love. They will know that you are God, that you are God's, excuse me, when you love one another. This is what... This is what the, the world is searching, is looking, and is not finding. The people of God loving one another. Things, horrible things like is happening in the world right now with the Ukraine conflict and others. It's a wonderful opportunity for the church to step out and do something. And we have been praying and, and following different um, organizations and how, for example, the uh, Samaritan Purse and the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association sending hospitals in the Ukraine, being bombed and everything, hospitals, you know, for, for people, and how um, churches all over the world have been sending staff to, to the neighboring countries to help with the refugees and the refugee crisis. Even our, our own school, the European Theological Seminary, had Embraced three orphanages. Johnny, my brother Johnny, is, is right here in, 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 uh, in Zoom today. Their church have host 35 uh, uh, um, uh, orphanage with 35 people. And they have accommodated them there in Blanes, in Costa Brava, close to Barcelona. 35 people just there. And the church and the council, church, the, the city council, is helping um, to these people. So well done, Johnny. Praise the Lord. The church can step out. It's messy. It's, 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 it's bloody. It's uncomfortable. But that's where love shines. You know that love shines brighter in a hospital than in a pulpit. You know, love shines brighter in a grieving house and in a funeral. Sometimes we don't even have to say anything. I've been in funerals where I have said nothing. I have just been there. Sometimes there's no, there are no words. But knowing that someone is there with you, that's a privilege that Jesus did not have. He was alone. But how wonderful is when we go through a, a horrible experience that we have people standing at our side. A fervent love for fellow believers. When you are a true disciple, you, you love the successes of other churches. Which, by the way, we are experiencing that very soon in Elgin. In a couple of weeks, um, we are going to have this re Revive Scotland starting in Elgin. And uh, the gospel will be, pre will be preached. And I know they may be different and they do things different and sound different but they're all preaching the gospel and this is when we have to realize it's not about what I feel comfortable with it's about the heart the core of what has been happening hallelujah we had a fantastic prayer meeting here the other day where people from different churches were praying and asking for revival again it gets messy you know But the important thing is that we love one another, that we sometimes have to 
learn how to agree to disagree and move on and pray for one another and build the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. And number five, thank you, Chema. A whole life commitment to God's word. Jesus said to the people who believe in him, this is John 8, 31, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. So it's not just one event. It's not, oh, yeah, pastor, I'm a Christian because I was Christian when I was a baby. It's not about that. It's about surrendering to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about inviting the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart. It's about experiencing that conversion. You see, remember the story of the rich ruler, that rich young man that asked the Lord, you know, what to do? And then Jesus said, sell everything you got and follow me. He was not happy about that. The rich young ruler went away sorrowful because he was not willing to fully obey the words of Jesus. Take up his cross and follow him. Jesus gave him a word that he neither had the disposition or the will to obey. Jesus did not plead with the young man or go after him to persuade him differently. He knew that the battle was being fought in his will. Only he could decide for Jesus or remain attached to the things he loved the most. What could have resulted in a joyful and enthusiastic devotion to Jesus ended instead in sorrow. You see, the Christian lives in the world, or let me put it this way, the, the Christians, we live in the world but he's commanded not to love the worldly system or follow the worldly perspective of life. Living in the world without being of the world is arguably... Argu, argu, help me with that, John. Argu, that's the one. <laughs> the greatest challenge to discipleship. Isn't it? Why do we struggle so much with discipleship? Uh, we don't like to go against the flow. Now, there are people that love to go against the flow just for the sake of it. And that's foolish. I've seen preachers, again, preaching with their ignorance and their pride from the pulpit to oppose everything, everything about the world. When I see the Christian church, the church in the early days, they have favor. And the world respected them because they loved one another. And signs and wonders were happening. But what the Lord is basically saying here is we have to love the world. We have to pray for the world. But we have to realize that we don't belong here. That we belong up, up, up in heaven. And that we're just passing by. We're pilgrims in this world. So love the world like God. For God so loved the world. But don't be of the world. You need to realize I can be an agent in the power of God to bring salvation, to bring um, a change in the circumstances. I cannot blend in. I'm not of the world, but I can love the world and minister the world. Jacob Chesterton said, The Christian idea has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. I will say that again. The Christian idea has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. C.S. Lewis didn't like this statement because his heart was evangelism. And he was talking about the importance of preaching the gospel in a way that people can, as I pray for the kids earlier, that they can understand, that they can relate, and that they can respond. That's our job, to preach the gospel in a way where people can click and then they can decide. I will do it or I will not do it. Like Jesus did with the rich ruler. He presented the gospel. I'm not willing. Well, that's up to you. That's your free will. You see? It's important for us to realize that Everything 
we are, everything we do. As the church, as the true disciples of Jesus Christ, it should be based and founded in the Lord Jesus Christ. Bethany and Audrey are preaching that right now in the Sunday school. They're preaching about building your house on the rock, which is Jesus Christ, or building your house on the sand. So imagine how messy things are there right now. But it's a powerful illustration for the kids to see. So when they start putting water now on a sand castle with a house on top, that house will crumble. But they have this big stone, and at the bottom it says Jesus. And then you can build a house there, and you can put the water can on top of it, and the house will not move. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ wants to do in your life and in my life. He wants you to realize that he is that rock, the rock of ages. And when we build on his rock, when we build on him, nothing can be moved. If you get John's book, which I recommend, you will see a weird slogan at the back. And it's a quotation from William Carey, a British Christian missionary. And he said, I am not afraid of failure. What I am most afraid of is being successful at things that do not ultimately matter. This is what I want to encourage you today. Are you being successful on eternal things? Or are we being successful right now on things that will not ultimately matter? Are our works like gold and silver that when we pass through the fire they will be purified? Or are our works like dry leaves? The leaves that John has been sweeping this morning here outside in the parking area. That when we just put a bit of fire, they are gone in no time. I ask, the, I ask that question to myself every single day. Lord, what, what of what I'm doing today is counting for eternity? is developing me into something um, that you can use. Let me read, as we close, the exchanges that took place in the cross. I read this often by Derek Prince, right? He says, Jesus was punished so that we may forgive. Jesus was wounded so that we may be healed. Jesus was made sin for us so that we may be righteous with his righteousness. Jesus died our death so that we may receive his life. Jesus endured our poverty so that we may share his abundance. Jesus bore our shame so that we may share his glory. Jesus endured our rejection so that we may have his acceptance with God the Father. And finally, Jesus was made a curse so that we may receive the blessing. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the privilege we have to be here tonight, today, Lord. Okay. The Lord wants to save you this morning. I was planning to close, but I think the Holy Spirit has a different idea. Is anyone here in this room today? Please keep your eyes closed. I don't want to embarrass anyone. But is there anyone here this morning that wants to invite Jesus into your heart? If that's the case, just, just quickly raise your hand there where you are so I can pray for you. Thank you for that hand. Thank you for that hand. Anyone else? Hallelujah. Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart. And he just wants you to sit, you know, stand up from your sofa, go to the door, grab that doorknob and open. And the Lord Jesus is there with a, with a bucket and an airplane. And he wants to come in and wash you. Wash every single room of your life. So, I want to encourage you to just receive Jesus Christ. Just acknowledge that you are a sinner. 
and that you need Jesus Christ to, to come into your life. Just say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm, I repent from my sins, and I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. So I will invite everyone, please, to repeat this prayer after me. This prayer will not save you. What it saves you is you putting your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and His work at the cross by grace will save you. And this is the beginning of the rest of your life. This is the beginning of a wonderful journey. I gave my life to the Lord many years ago and it's the best decision I have ever, ever made. Is there anyone else? I saw a couple of hands. Is there anyone else that wants to invite Jesus into your heart? Today is a day of salvation. Hallelujah. Please repeat after me, all of you. Dear God, I am a sinner. I am sorry for my sins. Forgive me. I believe Jesus Christ is your son. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I invite Jesus to come into my heart and take control of my life. I want to trust Jesus as my Savior. I want to follow Jesus as my Lord. I pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. As simple as that. You're a son or a daughter of God right now. This is the beginning of the rest of your life. Hopefully a life that counts. A life where things matter. Now, let me just give you a few pieces of advice. If you have invited Jesus in your heart today, remember this is just the beginning, right? So number one, I want to encourage you to pray. Okay? Prayer is the way we talk to God. You don't have to repeat or read prayers. That's fine if you want to do it. But prayer is basically just to, you talking to God. Like you can talk to a friend. You share things with God. Ask God things. The way we talk to God is through prayer. So you come humbly before the Lord, and then you just talk to the, talk to the Lord. But now the second thing I want to invite you is to read your Bible. Get the Bible and read your Bible. Because prayer is how we talk to God, and the Bible is how God talks to us. Hallelujah. Allow the Lord to speak to you. Number three, tell someone of your decision for Christ. Don't keep this for yourself. The love of God is to be shared. You know, share with other, others, especially if you have, a, uh, if you have come with a, with a believer today, or if you have Christian friends, say, you know what? Today, I have invited Jesus Christ in my heart. I'm not sure what's going to happen, but I feel good about it. <laughs> Hallelujah. And number four, remember to go to church. The Christian life is not a life that we live alone like lonely rangers. We have been received. We have been adopted into the family of God. The family of God is the church. So find a good church, a good local church where you could be. Thank you, Chema. Find a good church where you can, you can serve, where you can grow, when you can learn. Amen. And, and serve there. Allow the Lord to plant you and, and be faithful and, uh, and obedient and, um, and a blessing where you are. That's, that's basically what I share with you is in our website. So you can have a look at that a bit more in depth if you, if, you like, if you like to. I love you. God bless you. If you have received Jesus Christ in your heart, congratulations. I'm proud of you. Well done. I love you. And uh, go out to serve. Go out to show the world that you care that you love one another, that you are God's. Amen. Thank you.